1 Samuel 21. Very interesting and unusual chapter in the Bible. It's one of the ones that early in my Christianity caught my attention at the end of the chapter. One of the early ones that showed me that there are some unusual things in the Bible that the Lord used and did, and and God's people did. And... uh, Of course, we're dealing with David in his wilderness years. And we saw this morning the final break. We saw David, of course, left the palace of Saul for the last time and didn't go to the meet. Of course, Saul getting more and more deranged in his mind. We learned about those things. And now David actually begins his wilderness years. I mean, now he's out and he's escaping. I want you to think about the logistics of this for a moment, and then we're going to read chapter 21. But here he's got to, David has to get clear of Saul. Saul, flat out, no questions asked, no equivocation, wants him killed. That's the king's desire, his demand, what he's expecting of his servants. There's even, you will see, a little bit of a hope of an expectation and maybe a reward if. Someone can be the person to lead to this. And uh, so David has to get clear of that. That's no simple thing to get out and get away from out from under this sort of a thing. And, uh, and so he begins that process of getting out. And uh, tonight, uh, the subject, of course, it's David, the wilderness years. Uh, the fashioning of a king. That, that's the title of our, our series. But tonight I want to talk to you about priests and Philistines. Oddly enough. Priests and Philistines. Will you pray together with me? Let's, let's, let's prepare our minds and our hearts by praying. Not just you listening to me pray, but let's pray. And ask God to open our heart to His Word. If you're saved, the author of this book lives inside of you. And right now you can ask Him to reveal what He wants you to get out of His Word tonight. And He'll do that for you. So let's pray together. Father, thank You so much for giving us Your Word. Thank You for so much for giving us the Holy Spirit. I pray that You'll help us to learn as we go. Help me to follow your lead. Lord, I want to be obedient to you. I've tried to put my focused attention on following you and what you once said and how you want it said. And now, Lord, in the doing of it, I ask for your guidance. I ask you for your people, that they would have a heart receptive to whatever you want to teach them. I know, Father, that your word will teach beyond what I think is being done. And Lord, I pray that you'll accomplish your work and that your people will be open to it. May they be helped the Lord, there may be one that's come in tonight, Father, that feels that they're very much maybe right at the end of themselves or at the end of things, a bit of confusion and scared in their mind. Lord, I pray you'll help them through the Word as only you can. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Then, I begin in chapter 21, Then came David to Nob, interesting place, to Ahimelech the priest, and Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David and said unto him, Why art thou alone? No man with thee. And David said unto Ahimelech, The priest, the king, hath commanded me a business and hath said unto me, Let no man know anything of the business where, whereabout I send thee. 
and what I have commanded thee, and I have appointed my servants to such and such a place. Now therefore, what is under thine hand? What do you have here? What are you in charge of? What is under thine hand? Give me five loaves of bread in mine hand, or what there is present. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread under mine hand, but there is hallowed bread. If the young men have kept themselves at least from women. And David answered the priest and said unto him of a truth, Women have been kept from us about these three days uh, since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in a manner common, yea, though it were sanctified this day in the vessel. So the priest gave him hallowed bread, for there was no bread there but the showbread that was taken from before the Lord to, be, to put hot bread in the day when it was taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day, detained before the Lord. And his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. And David said unto Ahimelech, And is there not here under thine hand spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. And the priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah, behold, it is here, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If thou wilt, take that. Take it, for there is no other save that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it me. And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David, the king of the land? Did they not sing one to another of him and dance, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? And David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. And he changed his behavior before them and feigned himself mad in their hands and scrabbled on the doors of the gate and let his spittle fall down upon his beard. Like a wild man. Then said Achish unto his servants, Lo, you see the man is mad. Wherefore then have you brought him to me? Have I need of madmen? That you have brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? <laughs> what an unusual way to get away. A lot of interesting and unusual things happen there. Talking about the prince and the, and the Philistines here, David, as I mentioned earlier, just started out actually into the wilderness now. He's actually going out. And he's trying to get away. And it's a daunting task to get away. I uh, just uh, finished the book I mentioned. I didn't just finish, but I finished it a little bit ago. The book I've mentioned to you from the pulpit, The Forgotten 500, and it's talking about airmen which were rescued out of Yugoslavia in World War II. And during that book, and some very interesting parts of that book, they were relating what it was like to try to get out of areas that were occupied by the Nazis. In fact, the man with the OSS... Uh, Office of Strategic Services that uh, was the main one who helped get those people out of Yugoslavia. He had had to. He and his wife had had to get out of areas that were being overrun by the Nazis as they were taking over Europe. 
talked about how hard it was to leave an area once the Nazis had control because then they control every exit you could go out. They controlled the train stations. They control all that sort of thing. Well, think about David. He's got to get out of this country. He has a king trying to kill him and the king basically shut down everything in order to try to get him. So he's got a very unusual situation on. Look back in verse 1 and look what ends up happening with this. He goes to the place which was very natural for David to go. He went to the place of the priest. And he went to Ahimelech the priest, he went to this place called Nob. It's, it's the, name of the name of the place. That shouldn't seem strange to you. Right around the corner here, we have Beck's Nob. Well, this is the Nob without the Beck. This is, uh, this, is uh, this place called Nob, and Ahimelech's there. And David comes up to it, and he's looking for some provision. He's hungry. He can't just go down into town and get food. People know who David is. He's very famous in the kingdom. And um, he can't just go down there, and so he comes there. And Ahimelech senses something's not right. He's like, it says it scares him. He's afraid. He's, he says to David, why are you alone? David had been over all the military men at one point. And then remember Saul, uh, in an order to try to keep control of David but not have him in so close, had then made him captain over a thousand. But all the people knew David. And, and wherever David went, David now has some prominence about him. David has some power about him. So he didn't travel places by himself. He didn't go along with just a few people, which is what he had here. And uh, Himalak's looking at this going, mm, this isn't normal. And he said, how are, you, how are you doing this? And David says, oh, he says, the, the, the king sent me on a business here. So he didn't tell the truth. You're right, he didn't. Not excusing it. I tell you anything. The fact is, that's what he did. He said, the king sent me on business and it requires haste. Well, the king's son did, sort of. Jonathan had told him, remember what we learned this morning, flee, haste, go, depart. And so he, he went out and uh, he said, he said I, didn't, I didn't have time for any provision. And then look what happens. He, he's talking and the, in verse 3, David says, give me whatever you have. He said, what have you got under your hand? That term means what do you, what have you got under your control? And he said, I need at least five loaves of bread. Well, why wouldn't that mean? So I want five loaves of bread and maybe cause of knowing the showbread there. And the priest said to him, he said, there's not any normal bread here. Now, let me explain something to you so that this will make sense to you. The, pray, the priest then says there's hallowed bread here. What was that? That was part of the setup in the tabernacle and then in the temple for the worship of the Lord. There was something called showbread. That term's used here also. And that bread on a regular basis was renewed and it was put out. The bread was where it would be illuminated by the candlestick. There was a golden candlestick. And the bread was where it would be illuminated by that candlestick. And that bread was a picture of God's provision. It's a picture of God's Word. As in when Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And ultimately, as all things were in the tabernacle and later in the temple, all things pointed to Jesus Christ, who identified Himself, as we recently learned in Sunday school just a few weeks ago, Jesus identified Himself as the bread of life. And so the showbread had been hallowed. There was a certain thing the priest had to do. And when they did that, this was no longer just common bread. This was set aside to be put out before the Lord. Well, David's hungry. And he comes along 
And he says, give me some of that bread. We're going to come back to that in a little while. right?" But he said, I, I, how about that bread? And here's what he says. He says, you know, he said, in a manner, he said, the men with me and such are holy. And in a manner, the bread's also common. And the end result of it is he gets that showbread and that's what sustains them at that time and they go forward. Then, you go on down and you look what happens. And we're going to come back to that at the, at the end of the message because kind of the main point, I want to show you something with that. But then he comes back and notice this thing in verse 7. There's something happening here you're going to learn about very shortly if you're here for the services in this series. But there's a fellow who shows up here named Doeg. Now, I don't know about you, but the name Doeg sounds like a dud to me. I mean, you call somebody Doeg, that just doesn't sound like a compliment, you know? And this guy isn't. This guy is serious trouble. And he's here. He's the head. He's over all the herdmen of Saul's. He's in charge of all Saul's herdmen to take care of all his, his flocks. And uh, he's there. He's detained before the Lord, which means for whatever reason, the priests have detained him. There's an uncleanness or something. There could be a, a number of different reasons. But there he is, and he's watching this happen. He sees David come in. He sees the exchange between Abimelech and, and David. And he's watching what's going on here. And notice something about him. Where does it say his ancestry is? It, it identifies him in verse 7. His name was Doag. What was he? An Edomite. He said, well, what are the Edomites? The Edomites are the descendants of Esau. Um, don't lose your place here, but look in Genesis 25. Genesis 25. The Edomites, Esau, Edom, and Adam are all the same words and are identified as such in the Bible. It means red. Oddly enough is what it means. But look in Genesis 25. But you remember that Esau was red and hairy. And uh, <laughs> he went into red pottage. That's kind of an interesting thing. But... In Genesis 25, just so there would be no question about these things, look in verse 30. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage. This is a type of uh, concoction like a soup or a chili type concoction. For I am faint. Remember Esau had been out hunting? And he comes in and Jacob's there, been cooking. And Esau did like some of y'all did when you walked in the building this, tonight and you smelled, the, you smelled the food still. Certainly like you were this morning. He said, man, I'm starving. He said, I'm about ready to die. And uh, he said, feed me with this for I'm faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. So Esau and Edom are there together. And Jacob said, <clears throat> sell me this day thy birthright. That was a big deal. The birthright was a huge deal. It showed the inheritance of the father. To, to understand the proportion of what the birthright was about, basically you were taking on the reverence and the responsibility of your father's name. You were taking the responsibility of your father's household with that birthright. You were taking on to continue the heritage and lineage of your father. It was a big deal. To mess up your birthright was to disrespect your father and everything he stood for. And Jacob 
Sometimes I'll hear, and I've heard even preachers say, well, oh Esau, he stole the birthright. No, he didn't. That's why he's called a profane man for it. And that's why the Bible says that he could not find repentance though he sought it carefully with many tears. Boy, that's a verse that gets messed up badly. That specific verse is talking about this specific thing that once he sold the birthright, he couldn't get the birthright back again. And that's extrapolated to teach things about salvation. It doesn't even start to teach. But with this, he said, uh, he said sell me your birthright. Sell me, sell me your right to lead the family. Sell me your right to carry your father's name. Sell me your right to, to have the blessings of God that God's promised to your father. Well, that's the selling price. One bowl of this soup. Look what Esau's response was to with it. Verse 32, And Esau said, Behold, I'm at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? God calls him profane for thinking that way. All he thought about was his poor empty tummy. All he thought about was his current situation. No view of what God was doing. No view that this was a direct lineage coming in as far as God's promise on Abraham and his descendants. Instead, he'd sell for a bowl of soup. Set it aside for a lower appetite. He wasn't getting ready to die. He might have fainted, but he'd got back up at some point. And here he is. The, uh, he, he said, sell it to me. And he did. See, that's Esau. And Doag is an Edomite. Esau is Edom. Look over in Genesis 32, I think it is. Uh, yeah, uh, no, excuse me, Genesis 25, that's verse 30, and then look in uh, 36, rather, chapter 36. Let me double check. All right, notes to myself, lest I forget. And, and there's like three passages in this chapter. I'll just touch on this first one because I don't want to linger here too long. Genesis 36 and verse 1, it says, Now these are the generations of Esau who is Edom. And it does that. It tells you that three different times in that chapter. In verse 8 and verse 9 also, it tells you that Esau is Edom. So there's no question about it. So look back here in our text, back in uh, 1 Samuel 21. You have this fella. He's got that name, which to me... Sounds uncomplimentary just the way it sounds. What is his name? What's the herdman's name? Doag, okay? And so Doag, he's an Edomite. And he's the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. And uh, so he saw this. That's going to factor in later. Not today, but that's going to be coming. Put that away in your knowledge reserve and, and you'll need that later because it, it's very vital for what happens a little later. Then verse 8, David said to Ahimelech, Is there not here under thine hand, spear, or sword? Now, it's interesting what was going on. I just mentioned to you in passing this morning that the Philistines basically controlled the land. The Philistines were a maritime people. They were mainly a people they dwelt in along the shorelines, the coast, shipping, that sort of stuff. They were also a very, uh, uh, a very military people. They had multiplied... And they had taken over a good section of the land of what we know as Israel in that area and then beyond that also, but along the seashore and then inland also. One of the ways they kept dominance over the Israelites, and the Bible talks about this, is they controlled what could be done as far as weapons. 
In fact, the Philistines exerted enough control over the Israelites, they didn't allow there to be any smiths in the land. Sorry about that, y'all. But uh, And there's another verse that talks about too many smiths in the land. So, I, I, yeah, there you go again. Watch this stuff. But it, it's kind of rough. Uh, but if, if the... Uh, if the Israelites needed their plows, chairs sharpened, or any larger instruments, they had to come to the Philistines to get it done. Now that wasn't because none of the Israelites know, knew how to do it. There were Israelites who knew how to do it very well. But anything that was large like that, they had to take it to the Philistines to get it done. They were not allowed, the Philistines were, or the Israelites were not allowed by the Philistines, while the Philistines had some dominance on them. They were not allowed to have the proper equipment and such to do that type of work. The reason for that was because the Philistines didn't want them arming themselves. Where the everyday Israelites would have weapons of warfare. Um, they were allowed to have smaller files and such so that they could sharpen like their hoes, their axes and stuff like that so they could do their work. The Bible talks really specifically about this. In fact, part of what started happening under King Saul's rule, and he had some real victories militarily, was they were throwing off the shackles of the Philistines with this. So, um, for instance, when I was telling you about Jonathan, him going up against that garrison of uh, Philistines, the reason why he had weapons with him, and the we reason why when we read this morning, he, he referred to it as his artillery, it was his, uh, his weapons and his bow and such. The reason why he had those things was because he was the king's son. There were not a lot of people who were armed. Because see, back then, just like now, if someone wants to control population, you make sure they're not armed. And anybody who wants to make sure a population is not armed, they're not worried about the population safety. They want to be despots. They want to control people. That's the only reason they try to take away arms. Or they are so misinformed, they actually believe people who say that the population will be safer if they're not armed. Those are the kind of people who do it. So it sounds like you're making a pro-gun statement. Oh, you are so perceptive. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so they, they went there and David, so he had to leave so quickly. You remember what we learned this morning Remember Jonathan and David's out in the field. They decided John, David didn't have a chance to take anything with him. Now, he'd been a military man. He had had some weapons, but he couldn't take them with him. And so he's out here. He's running from Saul. He knows his life's in danger. He doesn't have anything. So he asked the priest. He said, look, and by the way, I like this. He comes to the place where the priest is, the place of worship. Not only does he get food, but there's, <laughs> there's a weapon there. I like that. So this was a Baptist church, amen. Um, they, <laughs> and so they went back there, and uh, he comes to him and he says, "He says you got do you have any kind of weapon here?" And he said, "Well, behind the ephod, which was the, uh, the garment that the priest would wear, he said behind that, he said we have that over there. He said it's the sword of Goliath." Well, David had taken that sword off Goliath. Remember David fighting Goliath. Of course, you know what David did? He used what the Lord had used him to work with before, and he had the smooth stones. And he took and he slung that thing around and let it go, and it hit Goliath right in the forehead, right? Well, Goliath hits the ground. He's not dead yet from that rock. I mean, it takes him out, but he's like, boom, he hits the ground. David climbs up on Goliath. Goliath literally is so big that David can stand up on him. 
I mean, he bit. He pulls Goliath's own sword off and takes his head off with it. And then he comes to carry Goliath's head back to you know Saul's tent. Got one. And uh, so that's pretty barbaric. Pretty rough. And uh, so there's that sword. Probably a pretty well-known sword. You know, it's interesting. People would be known by their weapons in the early days. It was not unusual, even in uh, our country, Western Frontier, that sort of thing, people would be known by their weapons. Hey, that's so-and-so's rifle. That's their, their guns. They would know that sort of thing. Certain swords were made in certain ways that they became renowned for how well they were made and uh, became pretty famous. I imagine the, the sword of Goliath would be known somewhat. So David takes that sword and he said, there's not any other one like that. He said, give that me. And he took it with him. Probably a good sized sword. I don't imagine it was a dagger. And knowing the proportionality of Goliath's side, I mean, size, I imagine it was a pretty, pretty good sized sword. If you ever want to look something up very interesting, look up Pepin the Short. P-E-P-I-N. Pepin the Short. And uh, he wasn't called the Short because he was a towering gentleman. Incredible fighting man. Look up sometime and find, find history and find out what size sword he used. Bigger than he was. Some of these guys use these swords. The strength of them had to be unbelievable to fight like that. Oh wait, Pippin the Short had a son by the name of Charlemagne. He was almost seven foot tall. <laughs> you can figure that one out. Um, seriously, history is a strange thing. You read, you read a lot of actual history, you won't even be looking for fiction because you've found stranger stuff than you ever find in fiction. Um, but here he is. And he takes that sword and he heads out with it. And he said, I've got that. But where does he go? Where do you go? I mean, King Saul is after you. Where are you? You can't go anywhere. He's got to leave his country. The wilderness years are truly starting. And by the way, David at times was just as uncertain as you are. He was a man. If the Bible says, and it does say, that Elijah or Elias was a man of like passions like as we are. And that statement's made about him in the book of James. If a prophet who knew the power of God like Elijah was described as a man of like passions as we are, since the Bible teaches there is no temptation taking you but such as is common to man, then a man like David felt uncertainty the way you feel uncertainty at times, fear, the way you feel fear at times. We see him taking great sand, but there are times he's scared. You can see this morning, what was his statement? There's but a step between me and death. He said, I made a wrong move, I'm dead. Later on, you'll find out after a really interesting thing happens where they're circling around this rock that protrudes, this mountain. Don't think about one of the Rocky Mountains. It's not that big. It's, it's this big rocky protrudence. And he's going around one side while Saul's army is going around the other side. And the only thing that saves him, and we can see the providential hand of God in it, is the Philistines start invading part of the land. So the Philistines actually save him because Saul has to take his army and go after them. And they're literally going around you know, this, this place like a it's larger, but not hugely larger, but like a Mount Pleasant type thing, you know. It's all the armies trying to come around one side. David and his men are on the other side. And this is going to end up bad at some point. So David's got all this going on. But what he realizes when, when that happened, he said, one day I will fall in the hand of Saul. And he just oh, he gets despondent at that time. The same man who encouraged himself in the Lord 
at Ziklag when his followers were going to stone him, and he looked to the Lord. That same man also felt what it was like to not have courage or strength anymore. He was a man. Don't build up the Bible people to be some kind of supernatural thing that you and I are not. They are people with the same living God. So here he is. Where's he going to go? Well, look what he decides to do. Look what we just read here. This is amazing. Looking, looking uh, down in verse 10. And David arose and fled that day for fear of Saul and went to Achish, the king of where? David fought Goliath of what? David, you understand there were kings over cities. And there was a ten prince confederacy that ruled the Philistines. They had a different structure of government. The princes are the lords of the Philistines. They'll show up time again. Achish is over the place called Gath. I checked out what David does. He's trying to get away from Saul. Where does he go? Goliath's on down. He heads there to hide out. So he comes in, and here are the men of Gath. Do you remember when David, the day of that battle, he didn't just take out Goliath. He led the army in a charge that was wiping out Philistines. It was a great military battle for a military victory for Israel. Much of these people, I mean, in that area, they've been involved in this. And here comes David. And here comes David carrying Goliath's sword. He's wanting to see Achish, and he's going in. I don't know what his thinking was at the time. He's trying to get away from Saul. But the men say, um, <clears throat> problem. Is not this David? Well, this is David. Look what they said. In fact, they understood something. Think about what this means. Look, look exactly at what the, what the statement is. Uh, look in verse 11. And the servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David? What's the title they give you? King of the land. Well, that's all on the throne. Saul was on the throne. But the Philistine said, This is the king of the land. Well, Saul's king. It ain't Saul that put the hurt on us. It's him. He's the king. Isn't that amazing? The Philistines knew more than some of the Israelites did about the situation. When God's hand's actually on somebody, it can't be hit. And they said, is not this David? Did not the women... Now watch this. Think for a second. Did not the women sing and not Saul slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? This is what they're saying. Okay, question for you. You've been in the study? Thousands of what? Philistines. Ten thousands of what? Achish, this is David, the king of the land. They sang a song about him killing the tens of thousands of us? Is anything wrong with this picture? 
There's no further explanations given what David's thinking, what he's doing. He's trying to get away from Saul. Who knows what you'd do in the situation? But may I point out to you once again, without a fear of being overly repetitious because it needs to become a part of our thinking as we're reading this, David is a very young man. He has the hand of God on him, but he does not have experience. It's a good thing he stays close to God. Because he doesn't have... Who's David going to learn from? He, he, hasn't, he has no Scripture to say about has been in his situation. Exactly. Who's he going to go to to get guidance? He has to learn to go to God Himself. I will consider the next 20 years of my ministry here to be successful. Not by numeric total. But I will consider the next 20 years of my ministry here to be successful among you. If, by God's grace, I can help you to seek your answers from your God. That summarizes the next 20 years of my ministry. That's the intent and the purpose. By God's grace, that's what we'll have. Look what happens. He says, they say, wait a minute, this this guy's here. And so David, of course, he, he figures out he's in a bad situation. He figures out he's getting ready to have a real problem here. And uh, he, he's afraid of it. <laughs> he, in verse 12, it says, And David laid up these words in his heart and was sore afraid of Achish the king of Gath. He more or less says, I just went out of the frying pan into the fire. Oh no. Hell no, they know who I am. They've put it all together. This isn't going to be good. How do I get out of this? <laughs> Look what he does. He changed his behavior before them. The word feign means he acted like something. He feigned himself mad in their hands. We severely misuse the word mad in the English language. Mad doesn't mean I'm going to break your bones. I'm angry. That's anger. Mad means crazy, disturbed, off the bubble, as the, as the uh, British would say, and so on and so forth. And what he does, he acts like he's crazy. He just acts like he is nuts. And uh, he changed his behavior before them and feigned himself mad in their hands and scrabbled on the doors of the gate. Now, he wasn't playing a word game. He starts beating on them, scratching on them, doing all this sort of stuff. And, and he let his spittle fall down upon his beard. You say, what are we really talking about? He suddenly realizes he's done for. He's got a bad situation. How do I get out of here? What do I do? <laughs> and he just starts going nuts. And they're like, what in the world? He's drooling. I'm not going to do that because if I start, I might not be able to stop it. I may mess up the electronics. And he's, oh, he's going on like, I don't have a beard to absorb my. And he's, he's drooling. And Achish, I love this. To me, it's hilarious. I'm not being irreverent towards the Word of God. It's hilarious the way the Lord chose to write it. I love Achish. He goes, do I have need of madmen? Why did you bring me this guy? In other words, did I? Did I invoice for an idiot? Why, why is he here? And I love, he says, I'm going to let this fellow in my house. The thought of this verse saved my neck one day. It's a strange story, but it's true. I'm in Chicago. Chicago. And I was visiting my roofing accounts. My roofing accounts, we, we were a wholesale company, so we service roofers. 
and I'm driving through a very rough area of Chicago. I stood out distinctly in that neighborhood and I was driving along and I was looking, trying to figure out an address and the fellow in front of me had a very nice car. And he stopped, I didn't see it. I'm driving, my old Nova, and went on 76 Nova, and I bonked into the back of him. Boom. Didn't damage the cars, but it hit him, and I feel it like this. You had these porches, you had the sidewalks of Vincennes Avenue, and you're up there, you know what that area was like, if you remember. And porches up here, and you had, it was a hot day, and there were people all out on them. And I hit this guy, and everybody looks. I'm like, oh no, this is bad. The guy gets out of his car, looks at it, slams the door shut, not making this up. He looked like Mr. T. <laughs> he had the head shaved, he had about 12 pounds of blame, and he was huge. And I thought, oh, okay. <laughs> he got out of the car and he looked back and saw me. And he just snarled. And I thought, oh, I'm really good. God is my witness. This verse is the only thing saved me. I didn't get out and teach him a Bible lesson. <laughs> I jumped out of my car. Promise you. Everybody in the porch is funny. People stood up like, oh, this is going to be interesting. And I jump out of my car. I go just like this. I go, oh! That in that tone, I mean, I cried down to the world. He goes, It's okay, man. It's okay. No, 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 it's, it's okay. I'm doing this thing. I got tears. I'm going to stop. No, man, it's okay. It's okay. Everybody's looking at me now. Oh, man, you're okay. You're okay. No, uh, uh, you're okay, man. Sound down. You'll be all right. Uh, gets me back in my car. I don't even know how to get back where I'm going. Where are you going? I'm going to get back to the waiting area. Okay, man, go over here. Take this exit this way. Oh, I'm so stupid. No man, it's okay. You're okay. You got it. And he drives away. He left. I said, Thank God. <laughs> it's all profitable. <laughs> For survival. <laughs> Actually happened. And uh, oh my goodness. Interesting life. And so interesting verse what went on. But David, what he's doing, what's happening here is David is learning to deal with situations that are beyond him. Now let me show you something I told you I'd come back to at the uh, end of the message, which gives you a glimmer of hope here at the moment. And that, <laughs> that's back in verse, verse 5. It says, David answered the priest and said unto him, Of a truth, women have been kept from us about these three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in a manner common, yea, though it were sanctified this day in the vessel. I want you, if you will, turn with me over to the book of Mark, the Gospel, as given by Mark chapter 2. Because Jesus Christ Himself refers in a teaching back to this incident that happened here with the showbread and Ahimelech and all that. Mark chapter 2 And let's begin our reading in verse 23. And it came to pass that he went through the corn, it's Jesus, he went through the cornfields 
On which day, church? Sabbath. Sabbath day. And His disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. By the way, it wasn't an illegal thing. That wasn't even an unusual thing. You couldn't wipe out somebody's crop, but you were allowed to satisfy your hunger as you went through uh, with certain things. You couldn't do it with an army of men, but you could do it as an individual thing coming through. And they came and, it's, and they began to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees, who were always looking to find fault, said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? It would not have been lawful for the farmer whose property that was to have went out and harvested his grain on the Sabbath. They're not doing that. They're getting just enough to feed them as they're traveling. But look what Jesus says and having familiarized herself with what we just read in Samuel, this will have a further depth for you with it. And he said unto them, verse 25, Have you never read what David did when he had need and was a hungered, he and they that were with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abathar the high priest and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat. In other words, you're not just to make a meal out of that. But for the priest, which is interesting, the priest could eat that, but it was supposed to be for the people coming through. And gave also to them which were with him. And so they say, hey, how's come they're doing this? He said, have you never read your Bible? Do you remember what David did that day? Abathar was the high priest, and he'd come here to Ahimelech, and, and that priest was there, and he said, he, he ate the showbread, which wasn't lawful for him to do. Do you remember that? And then Jesus says in verse 27, and I, I'm telling you, this has been a uh, uh, tremendous, tremendous verse for my mind and, and some understanding of things. And He said unto them, Jesus said unto them, the Sabbath was not made for man. But, watch it. Uh, it was made for man, not made. I just turned it into heresy. Um, I tied a knot where there wasn't one. Verse 27. I'll tell you what just happened. I'm not excusing myself. I just messed up. I saw the light. <laughs> no, don't start up there again. I've already had, they told me they're going to build something to put over that, so I can't gauge that anymore. If you were here the other day, we had fun with that. And uh, <laughs> try it again. Let's see if I can read it as it's written. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man. Got it right that time and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. When Jesus was teaching this, He said the Sabbath was made for the man. In other words, man had need of the Sabbath. I know it's, I know it's an elementary question. I'm not speaking down to you with this. But I'm, I'm causing us to think for a moment here. In whose image are we made? What did God do after six days of creation? On what day? Sabbath. Therefore, we are to remember the Sabbath to keep it holy unto the Lord. We are made in God's image. And God rested after His creation. The early command which was given to man was six days shalt thou labor. 
By the way, and I say this, and I know just recently, like Brother Rob, just recently, uh, I was a graduate, recently retired, that sort of thing. But I'm picking on anybody with that. But I have, as I thought about and prayed for some folks, I, uh, I I've thought about. Let me let me start putting something in your mind that will help uh, help those who are at that point in life, help those who are going to be there someday. Um, the concept, the Western idea of concept of retirement, is unhealthy and very damaging. Because the Western concept of retirement is that you quit your job, you're done with your job, you worked all these years, now you do nothing. If nothing else, it induces damage from the wife because she wants to kill you. Um, it's a little bumper sticker retirement. Twice the husband, half the paycheck. But. I know we can have a little fun with that. The trouble is there's a lot of marital problems arise at that time. There's a lot of potential problems arise, a lot of health. How many of you know of people that retire right up for retirement their health just goes, goes to nothing? Part of the reason is because there's no more purpose or reason. And it starts, depression is very common among people retiring. It's worse, far worse for men than it is for ladies. And that's tied in with the fact of, of why men were made, why ladies were made, and, and God's design for the two. So I'm, the thought I had, and I've written down the thought I have, that'll help you. Don't think of retiring, think of, the, think of it as a transition. I'm not saying that you need to work at your, whatever job that you've done the rest of your life and just slave away at it, but you need to have a purpose on something you give yourself to. Something that is actually productive and does something. That gives you the dignity of that, and gives you the strength of and you might, for those who are younger and starting out, you might start thinking ahead, you know, and preparing yourself financially and such, so that maybe you could even pursue some things that wouldn't be dependent upon them as a source of income, but it could be something you would do because it's what you're wanting to do and wanting to help someone that'll help you. And I hope to be able to help you with many such things in the future and guide you um, and, and just give you some ideas. And then if you'll do what I have a desire for you as your pastor to do is you're seeking God for what you're supposed to be doing in your life. Maybe I'll give you some ideas that God then can help you catch and see and see what it is you want to do. And they'll guide you in this way. And, and that way all your years can be fruitful and strong for the Lord. Even as your physical strength changes, you can still be fruitful for the Lord. But with that said, um, the man was made to labor. Six days shalt thou labor and seven days shalt thou rest. When that happens, that seventh day without to rest is sometimes just completely forgotten about. Doesn't mean that you can do nothing at all, but we must recognize that the Sabbath was made for the man. That's why I was so aghast at my misreading because it totally destroyed the teaching because it totally changes what it says. Um, God made man with a lack. When mankind was created, before the woman was made for the man, man was lacking something. And yet, God's creation was good. But it wasn't good that man be alone. Made in God's image, man needed an object for to care for, to take care of. He needs object for love. He needs to learn how to be expressive of his love. And a uh, multitude of things. 
But staying on track of this thing of the, the Sabbath was made for the man, God gave it because there's a need there. And when there's no time out of the harness, as it were, it doesn't matter what you do. You understand, some people will find enjoyment and recreation in what is somebody else's work. I was thinking over something the other day, and I mentioned it. I think I mentioned it to somebody here at church too, but I was first talking, my wife and I were talking at the house, and I said, you know, it's a strange thing. The conversation came up because of relatives of ours. They, they were talking about something. I don't need to go into any detail. They were talking about something, and we were, they had something that, doesn't take a bunch of time, this. It doesn't take a lot of energy. It doesn't take a lot of attention. And it was just overwhelming them. And I'm looking, and that's not even background noise when something like that happens. That's just, that's just life. You're cruising, man. That's, that's just it. And I said, uh, because they didn't get something we were doing, and I told my wife, I said, you'd never be able to explain to them. They don't have any clue at all. Life would live what we do. So that's fine. There's, that's fine. That's what we do. They do something different. And then I said, can you imagine this? Now think about this for a minute. How many of you in here, I'm not saying you necessarily know them personally, but you know at least of, you know, of a surgeon in town. You know that, maybe by name, or maybe, hopefully you don't know them real personally, uh, um, unless it's just through friendship and not through frequency, I hope. Um, but think about a surgeon. Let's think about a thoracic surgeon. Somebody goes in and they work in the chest area and that area of the body. Okay, we'll get up in the morning, you, whatever your ritual is for the day, you get things going, try to make sure your house is cared for, maybe you got to do something with the vehicle, blah, 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 you're taking care of it, and you go and do whatever it is you do for work. I do what I do as a pastor. These people, in the course of their normal day, they get up, they got to take care of their stuff at the house, they got family, maybe we got to make sure the dog gets to the vet today, this, that, and other. And oh, by the way, I'm going to cut over five people today. Stick my hands down their body and rearrange them. I don't know about you all, one of those for me would be enough to freak me out, okay? And one of those should totally, totally concern whoever I'm doing it to. <laughs> they don't make malpractice insurance strong enough for what's fixing to happen next. But that's their normal life. If they are talking to their peers, it was funny, we were out to dinner uh, with uh, Brother Cheryl uh, Hudson and, and Diane and then our friends John and Tammy Lynn. And uh, uh, the, John Tammy are active usually in the conversation. They didn't talk a lot. And she mentioned that, and I said, I know. And, and they didn't feel left out. And I said, but it was almost all pastor talk. We started talking about certain things, but Daryl started talking about And it was, forgive me the term, it was shop talk. It's what we do. About, well, can you imagine surgeons are getting together, and they're having a Oh, what did you do today? You know, I did, I, I did a thoracotomy. How about you? And we had this, and it was pretty bad. This one was a bad bleeder. We barely got them It, You know, oh, you know. I've got meat today, but I don't feel like anything, you know, rare. <laughs> See, enough of that. Um, <laughs> do you like some ribs? All right, I have them today. <laughs> I mean, what's your conversation like when they're around nursing? Pretty macabre, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, no doubt, I bet. I could explain some of your sense of humor. <laughs> I think I have a deep insight into your psyche there. Um, so... He said, preacher, what's the point? Well, there's man needs the Sabbath. I try as much as is possible 
and they're pretty successful at it. And I'm, I'm getting super vigilant about it again. I let myself not be vigilant for a little while, and that was beginning to tell. Friday's the day of the week where I basically disappear. So, preacher, there are always needs. There are. Which means, gives me good confidence they'll still be there when I come back. Now, I'm not making light of anybody's need, but Sabbath was made for the man, not the man for the Sabbath. You have a need. I have a need. What is that? Is I step back out something. Let yourself breathe some. And it is, it is so easy, and I understand this, man. I can, I can feel it because I have been there, been there, been there. You get to the point where you're running so fast with things, you're trying to get so much done, I just feel I can't ease off at all because if I do, it's all going to fall apart. And when we get to that point, we're not realizing it is all falling apart. Already. Because we have to be able to breathe. Anybody ever done any wood chopping? How's that go with the dull axe? You ever run a chainsaw? You ever have the chainsaw where it's throwing out fine dust at you? That's rough on the equipment. That's rough on you. And you don't get much done. So if someone's going along and they're cutting and they take time to sharpen the, the, the I almost said blade. I won't do it. The chain, once in a while, ongoing thing here. Chainsaws don't have blades. Um, the, the, it, when you go to char, sharpen the chain, sharpen the chain, sharpen the chain, it's like I'm scrabbling at the gate here. Um, when you go to sharpen the chain, that's not a waste of time. Oh, by the way, that happens to be very biblical. If the axe be blunt, he must put, more, put forth more strength to the axe. What's that mean? You need to wear yourself out because you're not sharpened. Can't do it. Jesus taught back to this, and when he did, he was pointing out a fact that David had a necessity. He had the great matters of the kingdom. He was an anointed king being, being pursued by a king whose anointing had been, uh, well, the anointing had been taken away, but the blessing had been taken away, his position had been taken away. And yet, on that way, he had to have some food. The place he went, like, well, you can't do that. And he goes, I can, we have to have that. Jesus, many, many years later, coming through the field with his disciples, they're hungry. This is not complicated. They're hungry. So they begin to eat the grain out of the field. They're eating that corn out of the field. When they do it, the Pharisees, what are they doing? That's not lawful. And Jesus said, did you ever read? Well, David did. Don't you understand that the man was not made for the Sabbath, but the Sabbath for the man? Therefore, the Son of Man, speaking of Himself, is Lord of the Sabbath also. Can I give you one real neat, quick Bible truth? Jesus said, Hitherto doth my Father work, and now I work. Jesus is the Sabbath for us. Six days of creation. Seventh day, what did God do? He rest, absolutely. The Bible speaks of us entering into that rest. The sixth day, and you went into the seventh day. The seventh day was uh, the Sabbath day. 
Guess what day that was? What, 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 in our week, what day was that? Saturday. Okay, you all understand that. What day is the Lord's day? Sunday. Why? Because past that, past that Sabbath, is the recreation where we are made new by Christ. That first creation was damaged by sin and broken. Past that rest, as Christ came, He's made us new. And God wants us to be renewed in what we do. Um, there's a lot of simple things in life, if we'd have sense enough to do them, would keep us useful and viable for the long term instead of just the temporary. Let me pray with you. Father, thank you for your words. Thank you for the truths throughout this chapter and for this tremendous truth about the Sabbath. And uh, Lord, uh, it was made for us so that we could worship You properly. Instead of being frustrated and burnt out and messed up, we could worship You. Lord, help us to be a people who want to follow You and serve You and who seek to know You and Your particular guidance in our life. Bless Your people tonight with a hunger for Your Word and a desire to know You, please. Amen. Stand together, please. Would you come this evening? We have a song invitation. I invite you to come.